Hello, welcome to a Cycle Systems online podcast. This is part two of our series about e-bikes, and specifically this is part two of types of e-bikes. So I promised you at the start of the first episode, as well as looking at the general types that we did in that episode, we were going to look at the mechanics and the tech in a bit more depth. And that's what I wanted to do today, was to look what's out there, both in terms of suitability for rider and type of riding, but also in terms of the effect then of the maintenance of the bike, what that means for the owner what that means for us as mechanics in terms of what we're set up for, the expectations uh, that we can give the customer as well. So it certainly strikes me that looking after an e-bike is more expensive than looking after a normal bike. Although, of course, if you're in a downhill racing or what have you, you might disagree because you're constantly falling off and breaking things. But overall, an e-bike costs more to maintain there's just a lot more going on, a lot more wear, potentially more expensive parts to go wrong. However, for a lot of people, they'll be buying e-bikes as car replacements. And certainly the Type 3 in the US or the Speed Pedelecs in Europe, these are 45 kilometers an hour, so 28 miles an hour uh, machines. And it's a really, really good replacement for medium size journeys you know these 20 mile 30 mile journeys that would be a bit far on a standard e-bike which would be cutting out at 15 miles an hour or 25k an hour someone may not want to do on an acoustic bike i mean i personally love my hour commute on my uh, road bike now it's summer but in january i was loving it on the stroma like smashing through the snow at 45k an hour and also one thing about the um, the speed pedelec bikes is you're often going faster than a car in an urban environment because you're on the bike paths so or you're cutting through the traffic and the traffic's going a lot slower than 45k an hour, <laughs> even if they're slowing down you a bit. So essentially that higher running cost may end up still being really good value for the user. But certainly when e-bikes are out of warranty especially this is where we're seeing the big bills coming in so in terms of the tech then we took talked last time about the different types of power in the motors and the use of those so the lower power motors 35 or 40 newton meters either being for commuter bikes in flat areas or for the lightweight bikes, so like for a gravel bike or for a, a Levo SL or something off-road on specialized, and the more powerful motors for smashing it off-road or on a freight bike. But what we've also got is motors which have got fairly low overall power output, but the entire design of the machine really makes it good for commuting, for example. And in the speed pedelec range, there's quite a variety as well. So um, for the Swiss brands, certainly the flyer bikes, uh, 45k an hour bikes, a lot of these are really well set up for people living in mountainous areas, uh, the Bosch motors or Panasonic motors. And 
relatively lightweight machines when you when you compare them to a stroma for example and the amount of power to weight of the bike makes them really good for someone who's got to climb 500 meters just to get home for example and you know that's not unusual here in switzerland but for other people commuting along the valley roads or in flatter areas something like a stroma which is you know 40 or 50 newton meters of power it's not a lot of overall power in the engine but unlike, say, a Bosch or Panasonic motored flyer, it will kick up to 45 kilometers an hour very quickly and hold it very easily. And it's a completely different type of machine. The massive um, big batteries, so a lot of watt hours there for really high range. And it's of course, there's a weight penalty. So there's certain bikes that are going to be better on the flat for holding a high average speed some bikes are going to be better for riding off-road or for riding in hilly areas. And essentially, the tech in those bikes is going to reflect the necessity for them. So with the Stromers, what you've got is the braking system is connected to the motor, so you'll get engine braking as well. And it does make a tremendous amount of difference. When you pull on the brakes, it's not just the um, you know, the rotors contacting the pads. It just feels like the whole bike is working as a system to slow you down. And considering a lot of the users of these bikes are not necessarily downhill mountain bikers or racing cyclists that are used to going at 45k an hour, it's quite an important safety feature. Now, one thing we're seeing on the speed pedelec bikes of all types and even standard e-bikes now, which personally I don't see the point in, but this is the ABS braking systems. So the ABS braking systems, as you all know, comes from the automotive. I think even originated in the um, airline industry, aviation industry. But it's, it's a way for the front wheel to not lock because that's a common way that people can crash is the front wheel locks. People skid out or go over the bars. And the higher the speed, the more important that is. So the ABS system then, when you pull on the front brake lever, it essentially controls the amount of power given to the pads to avoid locking up. So you have an electronic system, you have the bike's controller working there, and you have the brake hydraulic braking system as well. Now, the ABS systems we've seen so far from Bosch that are just moving on to their Generation 2 and from Blue Brake certainly do work really, really well in terms of the performance. You can literally be riding on a gravel road, whack just the front brake on, and you don't fall off the bike, essentially. So they definitely do what they're meant to do. But as a mechanic, you've really got to be aware of the system. So... If you're going to work on any bikes with the ABS, I'd recommend taking the training from the manufacturer. I would say that, but it's critical. So just things like when I had my blue brake training session, the instructor said one thing you never do, and blue brake, by the way, is maybe a system that works with lots of different brake manufacturers. But essentially one thing you never do on, on a bleed with these systems is pump the brake lever, you know, pump the master cylinder lever to try and push any air out of there. Essentially, if you do that, 
it will just flood the system. There'll be too much fluid going to places it shouldn't be, and you'll never get it working again. You've got to replace the entire system. I don't know enough about exactly what or how is happening there, but it's something that we all do as mechanics when we're bleeding. We'll give a bit of a pump of the lever, and it's something you just can't do on that blue brake system. They definitely don't seem to be perfected as yet. So we are seeing um, bikes now with the second generation blue brake, really solid, actually really good braking. Um, You bleed them and they bleed well, but certainly some of the older systems weren't that good. And, you know, when you're being told, well, the system isn't bleeding because it's got bad firmware, as a mechanic, you kind of want to hold your hands up because there's nothing you can do about that. We can't rewrite the firmware. And we're used to being able to isolate mechanical problems and fix them. And essentially, hydraulic systems are quite easy. You know, have we got compatible components? Uh, Are they all in good condition? Is everything moving smoothly and not seized? Are there any leaks? You know, you go through step by step by step of the pads contaminated, etc., and you, you'll get a hydraulic system working, or you'll replace it because too many parts are broken. But on the ABS systems, you have the brain of the bike, so the controller, you have the electronic systems, you have the hydraulic systems, and they're all connected. You know, so you have to have the bike switched on to bleed the bike effectively. Now, I'm sure we'll get there in terms of the ABS systems being nice and simple, because, of course, people in the automotive system industry must be bleeding them all the time. But certainly for now, it's a, often it's a, a longer you know, job, so it's going to cost the customer more money. And, yeah, with some of the older systems, when people are saying, well, it's bad firmware, it doesn't really sound very credible when you say that to your customers. So you definitely want to be aware of what system it is you're working on before you even begin. Get some sort of tech back up before you even begin on there. But essentially, what we're going to be having with a lot of the e-bike braking systems is just a lot more wires and controls. So with the ABS system, for example, you have um, the actual ABS system in the top tube. Some of the older parts had two, um, you know, separate reservoirs in there. The newer ones have just the one. But essentially, the oil has got to go on a much more torturous route from the lever down to the caliper. Again, looking from the automotive world, that shouldn't be a problem. But at the moment, there seems to be more places for the air to get trapped. So hopefully these systems will just get better and better. So like I said previously then, in terms of the equipment on an e-bike, we certainly saw on the older days what was essentially an entry-level mountain bike with a motor thrown on, with two piston brakes, with really quite poor um, suspension forks, with the cheapest imaginable badly built you know, wheels thrown on there. The sort of equipment you'd have on a 500 pound, six, $700 mountain bike. And it was just completely unsuitable. I remember doing test rides with some of these bikes and the brakes just wouldn't work <laughs> going downhill off road, things like that. There was too much weight, not enough 
power and solidity in the equipment being used and the equipment could break very easily as well and certainly for the speed pedelecs in europe or the type 3 e-bikes in the us what you have now is legal requirements for a lot of the equipment so from the mirrors to the tires to the all sorts it has to be rated to be used for bikes at this speed and it's incredibly important that you get yourself familiarized with the regulations in your country or probably your state in the US. You can't just be swapping any old components, even fitting any old tire on a bike that's going to do 25, 28 miles an hour or 45 kilometers an hour. And it's going to be the same for you to educate your customers as well. So if they do their own maintenance at home, they're throwing this sort of equipment on, it's really not that suitable. And even things like chains, if you can make sure you're using e-bike rated chains, obviously we've um, talked about quite a lot of e-bike specific transmission in the past, and you can go back to listen to some of those podcasts as well for the the detailed in-depth drive on that. But just making sure you're always using the correct rated equipment for that type of e-bike is going to save a huge amount of problems. So this is where the conversion kits can come into problems then, even the ones that are relatively well-known and relatively safe to use, is even if the e-bike conversion kit is relatively sound, and as we've seen with all sorts of fires in New York and God knows where else of equipment that isn't sound, even if the equipment's sound, what you might find is that everything else on the bike just isn't suitable. So we've probably all seen the £200, $200 entry-level bike with the worst type of V-brakes, wheels, etc., with a pretty powerful e-bike motor tacked onto it, and you're just asking for trouble there. And essentially, as a mechanic, if you do the conversion, I know for a lot of people, doing conversions is good business. But just to be aware that if there's a an issue, if there's a crash, if there's an injury, even a death, if you've done the conversion, then there's potential comeback from that. If you want to break into the bike trade, train your staff, or even learn some new skills just for fun, Cycle Systems Academy has a course for you. Our graduates come to us from all over the globe and train with us to gain the highest recognized cycle mechanic qualifications available. The bike industry supports and believes in Cycle Systems Academy, which means they'll believe in you too. And then the next big thing that we notice in the e-bike workshop is when something big goes and the bike's out of warranty. So essentially, you can perform a service on a bike, everything's great, so it's happened to me the other day, doing a test ride, everything's working, and then clunk the belt between the motor and the drive is broken and that's inside now luckily that was um uh, specialized where they do a belt kit which can be replaced quite easily so even if the customer is having to pay for that it's not a tremendous amount of money but essentially all of this technology can break can stop working and the batteries being a quite an expensive part of the e-bike system 
of course, have a limited amount of uh, decharges and recharges, as it were. So essentially, at some point, the e-bike customer is going to have really quite expensive replacement parts. So it might be motors, it might be batteries, it might be controllers. And again, it's just part of the price of the e-bike. And if the bike is out of warranty and it's not covered, then essentially it's going to be the customer's choice to get that replaced or not. But certainly I can see a growing side of the market, like certainly in the UK, we've got performance line bearings and they specialize in fixing e-bike motors that are out of warranty because they've got the skills to do it. And um, essentially it's far cheaper to do that than to just buy a new motor. So essentially with the e-bike systems then whether we're looking at what looks like a fairly standard bike with a motor tagged on whether we're looking at the technological wonder which is a stroma where every single piece is engineered to work together as a single system we're going to be looking at lots of potential issues which are caused kind of by a chain reaction essentially so what we might be looking at is um problem from the battery or problem in the the motor in terms of what's happening with the power and that will end up with the a light flickering and it replacing the light won't fix it for example you need to work through and find the issues there so the more complex the systems obviously the longer it can take to find the actual problem as well. And again, that's going to be reflected in the price to the customer. But I think for ourselves as mechanics, as long as we accept an e-bike isn't just a bicycle with a motor on there, it is its own unique type of vehicle. We accept the level of work that's going to go into working on these and the customers accept the cost of what that's going to be because there's definitely going to be a cost associated both with our labor time and the more expensive parts and in some regards the higher frequency of replacing parts um i've said on a previous podcast if you get two identical e-bikes next to each other one has a belt drive one has chain cassette and chain ring the one with the chain cassette and chain ring is going to feel nicer, it's going to feel sportier, feel more zippy. However, when you're servicing these bikes day in, day out, the bikes with the belts come in, you don't need to do much. There's no great amount of um, drivetrain cleaning and degreasing and replacing and all the rest of it. With the belt drive, the most you're doing is checking the tension on the belt and of course, there are tools for this. We've got the, the gates um, tool that hangs off the belt. And there's even an app now. You've got to turn Slayer off on the stereo. You flick the belt and your phone records the sound of the belt. And it will tell you if it's an acceptable limit or not. But in terms of maintenance, in terms of um, you know looking after the, the bikes, the belt drive, it's just a no-brainer. I know I've said it many times, but... For most people, with the way they use e-bikes, there's no real reason to have a chain and cassette and derailleur on there. The belt drive systems are far, far better. Definite caveat, though, 
is some of the belt drive systems, certainly the pinion gearbox, which has the grip shift type lever. It's a tremendously heavy shift. It's a pretty unpleasant shift. And I found in the winter riding one of those with my ski gloves on because it was cold and it was snowing, it would just slip. The gloves would just slip, you know, in the wet and the snow because it was such a heavy shifter. Um, we're selling some bikes with the Sturmey Archer 5-speed and a belt drive on and just not quite an, enough uh, variation in the ratio with the five gears on there. Not quite the right ratios either, I don't think. So some of the belt drive systems you find aren't so great. Overall, like for like, they're absolutely fantastic. Now, something that we see a lot on e-bikes and the speed pedelec bikes here in Europe anyway, tell me in the US if you're seeing them, but it's the Unviolo hubs. So it used to be called Nuvinci hubs. So this is a hub gear, which doesn't just go click, click, click through the gears. It just essentially has a range. So whether it's 500% or 400%, whatever the range is, and as you move the grip shift type shifter, the resistance changes with no actual gears, if that makes sense. So we are partnering Nuvinci in terms of tech training, you know, with our members. They can see all sorts of really in-depth training videos. But certainly, however you're going to go about it, you're going to need a bit of training on the Navinci's for sure. Even if it's just your fellow mechanic in the store showing you how to do it, because it's not a, a simple system. It's not like, say, the Shimano Nexus where you just connect a cable, you line up two yellow dots, and that's it. You're done. You know, it's away. Remember the old Sturmey arches where you just lined up in gear two with the window and that's it, you were sorted. With Navinci, we've got two gear cables going into a grip shift shifter, which wrap all the way around the shifter. And there they go down to the hub. And then, of course, you've got two cables connecting at the hub. And there's a very exact way of measuring the, the two cables and the way they connect in. And to be perfectly honest, while you can measure with a, a ruler, I'd really recommend getting the Navinci tool. There's a plastic one and an aluminium one. Our friend Ben Cooper from Kinetics recommends the aluminium one for workshop use because it's just hardier. But I'd say the plastic one is absolutely better than nothing and absolutely better than measuring. You know, personally speaking, I've measured to the millimeter what they say in the lessons. This is the amount. But when you go to actually attach the cables, it's not quite there. Whereas if the cables attach into the tool, like a little measuring tool, you know it's going to work in the hub. And it really, really does. So in the Navinci hubs, you're going to see more and more of them on e-bikes, definitely. Um, with the automatic hubs that we've seen the automatic gears again from da Vinci there's not really much we can do you know we plug them in and we unplug them and I've not had to do any fault finding on them yet and I've not had any tech training in them yet so watch this space for more on that but we are seeing more and more electronic gears so in the pinion gearbox space the Stromer ST7 now has um, electronic geared 
gearbox with a belt drive system and it's absolutely fantastic because it means you've got all the benefits of the belt drive and you've got two little buttons on there nice and easily operated even in your ski gloves and that just removes a lot of the user hassles and in terms of long uh, longevity in terms of how well it's going to keep working we'll have to wait and see but ultimately as we've seen with shimano di2 if electronics are well built there's no reason they won't just keep on working for years so thanks for listening for part two of our e-bike series there'll be lots and lots more of that soon 